Hello and welcome back to Oh My Darlings. We are in a new season. <laughs> 103 and I'm reading Marguerite Young, Inviting the Muses. So the first section is stories. <clears throat> this one's going to be a short one. Um, and then there are essays. And then the last part of it are her reviews. So it's broken up into three sections. Yep, okay. The next story is called The Dead Women. Lita was combing the old woman's hair. It was scant and withered, almost transparent of whiteness, but she drew the wisps over the bald spot smoothly with deft fingers. It was like silver snow on stone. Lita stood back, observing the work of an hour. There seemed little else to do. No, it would not be right to put rouge on the face of this faded countrywoman. She seemed more natural as she was, with all the lines and the flat chest and the terribly quiet feet in serviceable shoes. She seemed better with the big brown splotches like leaf stains on her cheeks and folded hands. This way, God might recognize her. This way, she might know herself, with the kinks in the bones of her back and the flutter in her heart. As Lita studied her subject, nurse musing on distance, she heard the door open noisily and felt the wind like a knife across her shoulders. But she did not move. Rather, she stiffened and gave all her attention to the old woman, so frail, so lonely, so utterly finished and done. She wished her father-in-law would not always be in such a playful mood as now, breathing close to her, with his eyes like hard, bright jewels in his head. She wanted to be left alone. "'Why don't you get out of here?' he said. "'A perfect day like this?' "'Oh, is it?' asked Lita, listless. She saw the flies motionless on the ceiling in the arc light, and she smelled the sweet odor of blood in the closed air. "'Was it? I did not notice. She had not had the time to see whether there was rain or sun.' He ought to be reminded what his true business was. She's ready for wheeling into the parlor, Lita explained methodically. What have you been doing all these ages? God Almighty, he had been doing plenty. Never was a man so busy, building and tearing down houses, supervising workers. He himself had climbed a ladder or two. Then he had lent a small sum of money to Billy Henry, who would pay it all back by painting a barn next spring and he had gone out to collect from the Andersons for the rent they owed since way last Christmas, this and that. It was Guy Anderson who stole that hog, and I just ran out to look over the farm, he added, with a sudden gust of imagination. He laughed in her ear, ready to tell his joke. Now what do, now what do you think that Guernsey did this morning, Lita? Lita shrugged. The affair did not interest her. She could guess. It would be in some way concerned with birth. Then she wanted to talk about what was nearer at hand. This poor old soul had only one caller this morning, she explained, and that was her crippled daughter, she who did not turn out very well, she who has only one foot. She brought asters stitched on a paper heart. Those are the only flowers she'll have, just common asters that grow in any field. Her father-in-law was sorry, but noncommittal. It was not the way of the Johnses to express themselves on these profounder matters. They did not dare to think, he often explained, so he merely shook his head in a habit of dismay. That's all in the business, dear, he said. Worse luck. Now take that Guernsey I was telling you of. She had twins this morning, but black as midnight. I hope you don't fool Tom that way, Lita. He was always teasing her about her condition, even when she went out into the company of perfect strangers. Now he wanted to compare her with the Guernsey who broke loose and got over into somebody else's pasture. 
But oh, they were cunning, Lita, so awkward too, as the newborn always are. She was very proud of her mischief too. She absolutely defied me. Lita laughed in spite of herself. But oh, father, you do overspect the dead, she reminded him. We shouldn't be talking like this, not here at least. Nonsense, the dead can't hear us. Or if they do, it's beyond my experience. Tom used to crawl into coffins when he was a baby. So will your baby. He was not one bit afraid. He never grew up to have that fear. But arm in arm, they moved toward the door to the parlor as he continued. You ought to have seen those sheep, Lita. There were sheep on the hillside and the coarse grass, and this time they let me come close to them. They'll learn my ways. Right now they know the farm is as new to me as it is to them. But not new to me, Father, she said distantly. Haven't you felt a kicking yet? Haven't you felt the young one inside of you? Don't be ashamed to tell me. Oh, Father, how could I? And this only October? It's much too soon. And Lita leaned against the wall, sighing. Please, do not tease me now, she said. Lita had been working hard, for there was a young woman on the board this time, wild and awkward as a colt in the meadow. It seemed as if still she wanted to kick out. She wanted to turn and row with her hair flying in the wind. Lita forgave her. It is hard for the young and wild to seem peaceful, ever. So she looked as if she might open her eyes at any moment and ask, Well, who in the world are you? Then she would want to get up and have a little drink. What a jag she had been on this long night before. It was all a blank. Where had she really been? She couldn't remember. Oh yes, now it all came clear to her. She had been down at the saloon dance with Charlie and Johnny and Harry, all the boys. Someone puts a nickel into the slot and there is music. Then she does fancy steps with Billy Stevens. There is laughter. An old dog is lapping up the beer on the floor. There are babies in baskets under the booth tables. So I just broke loose, a loud voice exclaims, and I just let her have it. And after that, she don't ask me no more. She is subdued. So someone puts another nickel into the slot and the dance goes on. You poor child, said Lita. She patted the rouge puff on the face of the dead woman. Maybe she could look, maybe she could make her look as if there would be a dance tonight after all. She was very careful not to smear the rouge too high, just to touch the lips with the paint stick, just to arch the eyebrows in a faint line. Then the upsweep of the hair, a curling iron for the yellowish curls, perhaps a touch of blue on the eyelids. It was Saturday night now, and the woman really ready to step out again, have a big time with Charlie and Johnny and Joe. Hoopla, Lita smiled. She felt like a beauty operator now, the way she wanted to feel all the time. She had made this woman look her very best. She had accomplished something. I'm just putting on the finishing touches, she said. Her father-in-law was always passing judgment. You've done right well, my girl, he said. Can you make her look natural? You can. I've had quite a time myself today, what with, crippled, what with my crippled foot and all. He took off his gloves. He threw his apron over a chair. Don't you pity me too, he said. He limped back and forth across the room with exaggerated pain like a little boy showing off. He wanted her to notice his crippled foot, the calf that stepped calf had stepped on out at the farm yesterday. It was one of those mistaken breed, he said. She is lifelike, father. She might open her eyes. I doubt it. She looks so peaceful, father, like she would never swear again. She would just say gentle words. That damned faucet, her father-in-law exclaimed, suddenly serious. It drips and it wastes water. I don't care. Well, maybe it's because you have other things to think about. Have you felt it kicking yet? Have you felt the young one inside of you? Oh, Father, how could I? In only November. But he knew it was about time now that child should be kicking, and she ought to go outdoors more and walk in the wind. It was a wonderful day, snow spotting the meadows everywhere, just barely cold enough to see her own breath. She ought to get out more. 
I do, Father, every day, and lead aside as they climb the narrow stairs to the living room. You can ask Tom, you can ask the doctor, but it's cold. I think it's too cold. She felt very heavy on her feet and rather dizzy. Surely she, surely her time was coming near. She felt like two women, herself and someone else. Still, she did not want to sit down. That would mean she might never rise again. It was hard even to get out of bed in the mornings. Tom had helped her, and coffee made her sick. She had not curled her own hair for a long while. She seemed ugly even to herself. But I cannot lift an arm, she thought, if ever she should be slender again. Her father-in-law always kissed her under the sprig of holly above the door to the stairs. If only he would not be always so cheerful. She kept busy. She could not afford to stop. This was an old man now, so long they had had to make a special coffin, and very thin and very gray. No one is so pitiful as an old man, and Lita did not know just who this one was. He might be any old man, her father-in-law, her husband, or her son. It was all the same. Someone had found him out in the country in a ramshackle shed with his feet in the ashes of the stove, where he had sat all day and the day before, frozen stiff, till he rattled like paper, thin as paper. Tom had picked him up and carried him over his back just like a child, but Lita did not know what she could do for him. Mar might bury him with his fishing pole, she said, and an old felt hat with holes in it. This evening her father-in-law was giving a Christmas party in the front room for all the poor children. She could hear them shouting back and forth as they played blind man's bluff, but she could hear his voice loudest of all giving directions. Now don't you cheat on us, you, you there, he cried. Oh, there would be no gifts for anybody. There would be no map of the world, no toy trains on tracks, no ships, no airplane, no gun, no soldiers, not an item. Lita did not believe him, though. He would have, he would have the time of his life in the game of grab bag. Later there would be popcorn and apples she would help to serve. But now there was the drip-drip of the faucet. Now there were the tall shadows ranged around the wall. The thoughts of apples seemed remote like next spring. She could not imagine spring. She stood back and looked at the strange man and the pale glistening of his hair in the darkness. He could not hear the voices of the children or the tune that suddenly ran up and down piano keys like a shiver down her spine. But maybe he had not known when the fires went out and the ashes got cold. This dark December of the wind and the utter silence. But she knew. But she was sure now. She turned and walked heavily toward the stairway, passing alone under the sprig of green holly. This was published in American Prefaces in 1943. Nice. Hope you're enjoying this. Thanks for listening. Bye.